Isn't that amazing how, you know, you're like, yeah, all I do is eat boiled chicken, broccoli. I wake up and I eat oatmeal and I go to bed at eight and I always read with blue light glass. Like we tried our best to portray that we have no humanity. Like we're a robot. Yeah. And for you guys who were listening right now, as we kind of, you know, dove into some of our, our topic already, we were talking before we jumped on the podcast. Uh, I got my man, Kevin Mullins on the podcast today, Kevin. I feel like uh, I feel like it's overdue, right? We're only like ten to twelve episodes in, but I feel like that the podcast world has been missing out on this conversation. Well, especially because the behind the scenes banter that we have, you know, with Axiom and and just life being friends, living only about forty five minutes apart, uh, I think we could take this show on the road. And uh, and for those who are listening, it, just a reminder: if you guys are listening to this on any of the podcast platforms, this is also available on YouTube, where you can see mine and Kevin's beautiful faces. Uh, so definitely check that out. And I'm also going to link you guys to Kevin and some of his social media profiles, because I'm going to be honest, I enjoy following Kevin and I have even prior to us working together. And, uh, Kevin, I'm excited to talk to you, I guess a little bit about, you know, I mean, Hey, you've been on a journey in the fitness industry. When did you start training? I certified in 2008 and took my first client probably a month after. So somewhere <laughs> the summer of 08. Oh, eight. Love it. And uh, at this point in time, you know, we're shooting this podcast 2023. It's crazy. It's going to be Christmas before we know it. Um, if you had to guess, how many sessions do you think you've trained at this stage? I actually had a good count. And, uh, and this includes private sessions that I've done away from larger brands. But as of 2021, it was 23,452, 51 or 52 sort of uh, sessions. And then that's before I went back to the floor with anatomy and then also have some private clients currently. So I'd say pushing 25,000 hours of training now. That's a decent number. Yeah, I've done it a few <laughs> times. And it's, it, I've had people in the industry or be like, you really train that much? I was like, yeah, I just, I just woke up and I trained all day. Like it took me a while to get to the social media and the blogging and the this, but for years, it was 150 months, 180 sessions a month, 200 a couple times. And I just woke up and trained people all day long. And, and obviously now you've, you know, you've spent time, you know, you built yourself up and had a great career working inside of Equinox, working into their education side of things as well. And then you and I initially met actually through the PPSC, another organization that you teach with. Um, and then obviously in the last couple of years, you've gotten to come work with us as well at Axiom and kind of come back to the beginning stages. Uh, so I'm interested too, because we haven't talked about this that much in now going back to working with like brand new coaches and trainers, what are some of the things that maybe you kind of forgot about, you know, as you were, you obviously you've trained 20,000 plus sessions, 25,000. And so it's kind of hard to come back to like this beginner's mindset. Um, what are some of the things that like you're thinking about more now, now that you're working with brand new coaches and trainers, either a, like what really matters when you're initially working with clients? I would love to, I would love to pick your brain on that. Well, the number one one, it's, it's a little less about like client specific, but the number one thing was going back and obviously with us supporting NASM so closely getting down into that OPT model and remembering the power of tempo. Right. I think, you know, especially we all we all have a way of doing things, but I think I forgot just how painful 421 can be <laughs> and how something so simple as a split squat cable row can suddenly turn into a religious experience with a 421 <laughs> tempo. And so 
I think that was number probably the biggest takeaway. I was like, man, I forgot about like really thinking through tempo for some of the simpler stuff. Like you get it in your power movements, you know, when you're chasing a negative or an eccentric biased movement, but to just really put that extra thought of like stabilization for four seconds, two seconds, uh, that was a big shock. And then I think reminding myself by, by coming back to trainers who don't know what I know, you know, so many of us know now is it's remembering to see it through the amateur's eyes. And that's the eyes your clients ultimately see training through, right? Like we're like, Oh, we've got to hit these fascial slings and this multi-planner, multi-faceted, multi-tiered approach to integrating all of your fitness experiences all under one roof. And we get so caught up in playing Scrabble with the letters behind our name or, or playing Scrabble with the words that we make. And, and I think, I think what ends up happening is we forget that the basic customer and you hear people say this, those people just want to look a little better. And yeah, but they also just want simple. They don't necessarily want crazy period, periodized schemes and stuff like that. So teaching trainers who don't quite understand these more advanced schemas reminds me that people who are interested in fitness, keep it simple, stupid is still a pretty damn good way of approaching business. Yeah. And well, and I mean, I would, I would venture to say, and it's not all right. I would say, I'm just going to make up a percentage, 50% of like CEU, CEC courses out there that, especially if they're on like specialty training modalities, like for example, one of the first ones that I did back whenever I started training, I did the USAW. Uh, I would say 50% of courses are, they're just geared towards keeping the trainer excited about what they're doing, which isn't a bad thing, right? I'm not going to say it's a bad thing, but I mean, you know, I mean, the USAW was really cool. I mean, I got yeah. to be a pretty solid Olympic lifter. I can't say I use that much of it with my clients. Right. You know, so it's really interesting as I, as I think back to like what I gravitated towards and then watching other coaches and trainers do all the things out there and no poo poo on anybody. Like I think the on it stuff is super cool. Um, but then I watch people go to it and I'm like, how much you, you're going to use one, you might use one warm up move with a client. Like they're not, they're not swinging a mace around like that. But yeah. I mean, that's just me. Maybe I'm more of a traditionalist. I don't know. No, I think you're, you're touching on it. Right. And I think, I think something specifically like on it, it's really cool, but it's also a little bit niche because you, the coach might love twirling a mace and, you know, having calluses rip because of your snatching from the kettlebells and you don't feel weird doing lateral ape and lateral side kick through from animal flow but the average person who's coming into the gym to stop the jiggle and the wiggle and get a little harder stronger they're like what the fuck? what am i doing right now like what is this goofy stuff because they're going to be self-conscious and they're going to be very aware of where they are in space and they're going to be wondering what other people are thinking about them so yeah, it's like these are really cool things. And I definitely am a huge fan of like the basic mace, you know, halo yep. work. I yep. think everyone on earth can benefit from some mace halos. But I've definitely had some clients where I'm like, if I give this person, even if it's light, a mace in their hand, they are going to leave. They're just going to walk <laughs> out and be like, nah, dog, this ain't for me. Like, I don't think you, I don't think you understand what I'm here for. Uh. <laughs> Yeah. And at the same time, there's an element. I think the interesting piece of that is, you know, and not to take it down a different route, but you know, there's a certain element of ego in our industry. And I think that fine line of ego and confidence and, but I mean, at the same time, people want to train with someone who's excited about what they're doing. Right. And if you're excited about something like Kevin, 
you love the hex bar or you love, you know, you love, you love lifting strength. I know that, right? I mean, you're, you, I feel like you could crush me and it scares me a little bit, but so I would imagine anyone who trains with you, they're going to be more likely to want to do strength work because of the way you talk about it. Um, and so like, I get that too. People will, they'll do some of it, but I think that, yeah, obviously it's easy to start spending too much time on things that you might not use. I don't know. Yeah. I think what you're talking about there is the, by the way, I would never crush you. I would hug you and just like, no, I know but, you're, uh, a gen- you're a gentle giant and I appreciate giant. that. Um, but I think it's the line between exuberance, not even ego. It's exuberance and dogma, right? Dogma is you're just so into the thing that like, you can't see anything else. True tunnel vision. Exuberance is I hope I meet someone today that I can share my gifts with, right? It's, it's that ability to flip a switch. Like we all love training. If you're in this industry, I'm assuming you love what you're doing. And we get fired up helping people. But then when that person's doing the things that we also enjoy, we definitely have another gear. But you have to be able to say, like, I love strength work. I love, you know, hex bar. But I just trained a client, you know, an hour and a half ago. She is 74 and all, you know, hips got some stuff going on, got some neck stuff. The last thing I'm doing is be like, hey, listen, you know, the one thing you need is a big deadlift at this stage of your life. So it's being able to separate those those two exuberance and uh, dogma. Yeah. And well, and there's like, I think that's the fine line and maybe it's just over time. It just takes time to figure it out. Like you can't shortcut some of the experience that you have to gain to figure people out and to figure yourself out. Right. Cause there's how you train and then there's how you'll train people and you can't separate the two because like you're still you. And mm-hmm. part of the reason people want to train with you is because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but figuring out like how much do I give? When do I give? Because I can say, I feel like I've also gone the other route, right? Where I think I tried everything. I was doing kettlebell certifications. USA, I mean, like I wanted to experience it all and I did and I figured it out. And then I was like, eh, but I'm going to stay like really traditional. And then, you know, maybe within my comfort zone, didn't try enough outside the box stuff with people. And there's still an element of people wanting to come in and have fun, especially if they're training with you. Like yeah. I know you've got, you've had long-term clients, me too. You know, at some stage you've trained someone for six or seven years, um, you know, obviously, yeah, you've got the conversation, you can talk about things they've, they've goblet squatted a thousand times with you, you know, but there's like a little element of like, all right, you know, like sometimes they still do want to try something new cause it's fun and the gym yeah. should be fun. So I don't know. I think it's a tough balance for people. I feel like I struggled a lot with that as a new trainer, you know, yeah. like being super traditional and not being, uh, adventurous enough, you know, versus like being too adventurous. But I guess that's what makes everybody kind of individual. Yeah. And I, I think the the ultimate, if there's advice out of this conversation we're having is you just got to know yourself a little bit, right? So it's like, know, know your client, but also know yourself. And I'm sure there's a specific moment in your career, probably happened in the last five years, where you were able to sit back and say confidently who you were as a coach, what you bring to the table, and not in a competitive, I'm better than these other people, but you knew you had some advantages over other people. You know, for me, I'm fortunate that for whatever reason, biomechanics and understanding how to set people up in really good positions has been somewhat intuitive. And then I've got a little bit of personality and humor on me so that I can find fun analogies and ways to get people to do what they should be doing. And then they end up doing things they never thought they could do because we set them up the right way. So I think it's just being able to scouting report yourself. What do you think? When did, when did you when did you run an NFL combine on yourself, Joe? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. I like, uh, you know, recently he's really hot. He's so hot right now. Right. Uh, Mugatu. 
<laughs> if you get that reference, we're good friends. Um, is uh, you know, Alex Hormozzi. He's everywhere. This guy, especially on the business side of things, and he's someone who came out of the fitness industry. But I like, in the sense of training, he talks a little bit about these phases of himself as an entrepreneur. Like every five years, there's been like this kind of reinvention, or maybe like the next layer. And as I, it's funny because as I look at it as a coach and trainer, aside from like owning businesses and doing other things, I also think there's almost like these five year phases that I've gone through of like my first five years. I mean, you're just throwing, you're throwing everything against the wall. You're, you're just working a ton. You're working with everyone. You really don't know it. You know what you're doing, but it's not systemized. You don't have super strong thoughts in your head. And then the second five years where it was like, oh, like I'm good at this. Like I know what I'm yeah. doing. I have a process I'm taking people through. Um, and then there's like the maturation, you know, of the next five years of like, and for me, I look at it as like also figuring out how do I really fine tune what I do so I can also help others in other roles. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like every five years you've accumulated enough time and experience that if you are, if you are setting aside the time to like think about like where you've gone and where you're going, that I do think there's the opportunity like to kind of ascend to the next level, you know? So that's just my experience is like every five years. Um, and you know, I mean, Hey, I'm, I'm coming up on that fourth five years. So we'll see what happens. What, uh, what five year window are you in right now? What, uh, what season are you in? I, I'll be in, I'm not great at math. I'm a gym guy, you know, but I think I'm in year 16 right now. So I'm actually, you know, I, I got certified in 2006. Um, okay. you know, funny, funny enough, I got, I got sideswiped on my way to take my certification. Like someone totaled my car. Um, but I was like, bro, take me to the, take me to the testing center. I'm taking this exam. <laughs> You're sitting there, got bandages and just like, I'm yeah. getting but yeah, no, but, what I meant is what I meant is what what is your five year window you're in now? Because I know the Hormozy conversation you're you're talking about. Like, uh, what what phase of Joe Drake are we? Is the world getting right now? I am in. I am enjoying. You know, because I mean, for those who are listening, you know, you guys might be connected to us because of the Axiom Fitness Academy or doing some speaking in the fitness industry. I've been training clients for 16 years, pretty much continuously, and at different levels. Like when I had the gym from 2014 into 2019 before selling it, you know, I was training, but I had to pull back more. I had to train less because I was so focused on trying to grow the gym and managing other coaches and trainers. And during that phase. I really, because I felt like I was, my, my attention was split and I was trying to run like the, you know, axiom courses. I just wasn't doing a great job at anything, you know, any one thing. So I was training and I think relative to other trainers, like my clients were still getting a pretty good product, but they weren't getting all I could offer. And so I started resenting training during that time period because it was like in the way. Um, and I feel terrible saying that because, you know, let's be honest, people were paying good money to train with me. Um, but now that I've, you know, since then, like sold the gym, focusing on Axiom, my family, got my girls. I love training right now, probably more than I have in a decade um, with the clients that I'm working with, you know, and some of it's, some of it's just like my mentality, you know, thinking about how I approach things, even with longtime clients, like diving back into, like you mentioned, the beginning stuff that never goes away, revisiting goals on a regular basis, like all the stuff that made me so good in my first five to 10 years. And then like I backed off of for five years because I had other focus. I'm just really having a lot of fun going back into it. Um, you know, so I, yeah, it's like in some ways I've thought about pulling back from training a number of times, even since the gym. Um, but I feel like until I stop enjoying it, like I'm just going to keep doing it. Cause as of right now, you know, you just, you get to work with such amazing people. I learn so much from the people I'm with. It would be really hard for me to give that up altogether right now. And it's, it's, it's what got you here, right? And I, I can relate having different opportunities over these last, let's just call it five years. Just, 
opportunities to step off the floor and, and, and help build a big brand in Virginia and do some other things, obviously more on the education side now, but I still have to have clients because it, it's just it, a day when I don't train and it's a work day, if you will. I'm like, what was, I don't like this because it's, it's almost grounding when you've done it long enough. And it's funny because then I can think back to the days when I'd be, you know, 12 straight with just enough time for a protein bar and a partial <laughs> poop. And you're like, all right, uh, I can't wait till the day I don't have to train clients anymore. And then here you are and you have the opportunity to do that if you want. And yet here I am going, yeah, sure. I could see you at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., whatever. Let's do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think everybody's different. You know, that there was probably somewhere along the line whenever I wanted to, it's probably the whole reason I wanted to open the gym and then have the gym and I wanted to scale the gym and have multiple locations. Um, but I, I just wanted what other people told me that I was supposed to want, you know, uh, right? that, that, that was the path to growth. And mostly cause I saw these other amazing people in the industry. Like that's what they did. Mm -hmm. I was like, cool, I'm going to do that. And then I was doing it and I was like, okay, like I'm here, but I'm not here, you know, like, and so at some stage, I'm sure some, at some stage in my life, maybe I will really like pull back from training right now though. You know, I think that's the challenge, the organizations that are out there, all the work that we're doing at Axiom, I feel like being on the ground and having a real pulse of training and being able to show people like, this isn't just what I'm talking about. This isn't theoretical. Like I'm doing it. I don't know if anything, it just gives me confidence in what I'm doing. Oh yeah. I mean, you definitely, if you haven't trained in a little bit, you know, I know I was on the road a couple of times. And I hadn't had as many clients. So I'd be talking about things like, oh, yeah, I do this. I'm like, but do I or did did I do this? And so I like that you talk about things in present tense instead of who I used to be. Because then you're no better than the guy at the Gold's Gym who's like benching 315 when he walks in. He's like, oh, I could have been in the NFL. I was the best all-state linebacker for Hogwarts University. And, you know, I just, you know, somebody cast a spell on my knee and it never worked out. You don't want to be the guy or the girl who's just focused on who you were instead of who you are. So, or who better yet, who you could become. So I'm, I'm interested in your, uh, you know, your take. I was having this conversation actually on the previous podcast with, I'd mentioned talking a little bit with Raphael Conforti at UFIT, um, but just about like the future of the fitness industry, you know, like where things are going, uh, you know, AI, everyone's talking about AI and, and personal training from my experience. And maybe we're in a bubble here. Like we're in South Florida. If you guys are listening to the podcast or watching, you know, we got, we got Kevin, look at him. He's got a deep V on. He's definitely in Miami. I can tell. Um, <laughs> and, and for me, you know, right, whatever. I got my tight techno gym shirt on. I'm in South Florida. Good. So, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't see that one coming. I ain't going to lie. I, I, <laughs> we're in a bubble. And I, so like training to me, if you're a great trainer, like there is no shortage of, of training opportunities. Again, we're in a, we're in a South Florida bubble. But I mean, how do you feel about it, Kevin? I mean, I know you have a, you know, you have a higher level role with a larger organization, the St. James Strivers, you know, you're very integrated into the digital elements of training and fitness. Um, what do you feel like are some of the, and more so for the trainers that are listening to be thinking about their future? Like, where do you think things are going? What skills do they need to continue to focus on developing to succeed over the next 10 years? Well, I'm actually going to start with that last one, right? And I'm, I'm, I couldn't mean this more is the most important skill is going to be your interpersonal, your psychology skills, your relationship skills, because as a person who's currently working on a project uh, that involves some level of calculated artificial intelligence based off 
a database database that I personally built. It's about probably as far as I can have say everything, but you know, it's it's a big database that I constructed and logic is built. The thing missing is still my personality, my ability to make in the moment, you know, decisions, the ability to read the room, if you will, right? The computer can't tell that you're having a kind of a crap day and that you're still going to work out, but we shouldn't probably go balls to the wall. It's like focus in on continuing to hone your ability to understand people's emotions, study things like motivational interviewing for fitness and nutrition. It's a great book that, that I can't recommend enough, you know, look into things like, you know, what are the various um, psychological and philosophical uh, templates that you find based with people's socioeconomic backgrounds, right? You understand that everybody will find a way to say they're stressed. So what are they actually stressed about? And ultimately, what problems can you solve for them? Whether that's, you know, typically it's working out and, you know, coaching, but could also be other things. So I think to answer the more optimistic outlook is as long as you keep working on yourself and your ability to take care of humans as a human, your job is untouchable. Now, the other side of that is technology is forever coming. There was once a point when somebody had a VHS collection and they thought they were God. They were like, look at all the movies I got. And you were recording things. And I remember I used to burn CDs and now I just get and stream. So technology will always win. And to think that it isn't going to make a major seismic shift is to just be naive. And it's one thing to have beliefs, but if they're based in naivety, that's really a you problem. It's one thing to say, hey, I hear it. I've thought about it, but I'm, I'm not there for it. But if I choose to just not look over there, that's really on me. So technology's coming. What the question becomes now is, is going to be an ethics question is, are you going to be the trainer who leverages the technology, but claims it's still you? Or are you going to be the trainer who's very open about, listen, I utilize various AIs to help generate better content, and then I customize it to make sure it always fits you. Like, really, we are about to probably hit an ethics crossroad where there's going to be a whole lot of people claiming digital, digitally created things are their own, and that's where it's going to be curious. And then I would just say on, a, on an uplifting note is how can you leverage it to do the tasks that do eat at the day and take you away from people. So one area where I've enjoyed using this private platform that I have is I can build templates for sort of customer bucket types, over 70, history of injuries in this place, this place, that place, and then looking for this, this, and this. And then I can create a six-week program by a couple clicks of the button and then I'll look at it for a real client and say, okay, but they don't like that. They won't like that. And I can cut down on a pretty good amount of time programming. So I know that's a really long-winded answer, but I this is something I have to, I, I share multiple feelings with because I work in an industry or at, at a position in which my job is in some ways to usher in the future for the benefit of strivers. But in the other side, there is this purist trainer that me wants to be like, get off my lawn. And so <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on this. Yeah, no, I love that though. I mean, honestly, I look back and not only do I think about it for new coaches and trainers, but even for me now, um, I really am excited about the opportunity to use some of these things to like, to be better. You know what I mean? Like if I could, you know, have, you know, again, these systems like learning the way that I train, um, you know, the progressions, regressions, making the suggestions mm -hmm. just so that 
because then you, then you really can. I think one of the reasons that, you know, a lot of new coaches and trainers struggle. And I even think for me, right. I'm the good example. I think I look back and I can remember because I have a very visual memory. I can think about some of my first sessions and I'm like, <laughs> it's like cringeworthy. Um, you know, I'm like super poindexter, like, you know, very focused on the program, but not the person. And I wish actually I could have been the opposite where like, I wish some of the program was like almost more like created for me, like with some really great thought and I could customize it because then I could just focus on the person. I think it's very hard to have the bandwidth to do both when you're like so stressed out about the program as a new trainer, um, that it's hard to make time for that, you know? So it's like being able to put both those things together. Is super cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and then don't forget the, the other thing that new trainers are really good at counting out loud. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I used to joke that I know somebody in their first year by how loud they are and how accurate they are with every rep count. The longer you do this, you're like, they're like, how many was that? You're like, uh, seven, maybe you're 12. Like, I don't, you're like, I told you 12. I'm not counting for you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, then um, that but, gets into a, the sciencey conversation of then you do this long enough, you actually don't care about the reps. You just give them like, hey, I want you to feel like you could do two more, but then stop. And then they're like, well, how many should I do? Right. It's definitely interesting psychology there, too. Um, and what I want to do, I want to go through one more thing, because uh, for those of you guys that are listening, you know, my my man, Kevin, who is one of our you know master instructors at the Axiom Fitness Academy, we're going to make this a more regular thing. I want to, I want to leverage Kevin, not only because I enjoy having some conversations with him, but also we've gotten more conversations from people in the course, outside of the course, social media. So for us to have the ability to tackle some questions Absolutely. and something I've gotten a request for is just some also like on the podcast, a little bit more conversation about like, like training tactical stuff, right? We all know, and this is where trainers, uh, they not only they want to learn more, but truthfully, like there's a lot of questions as they first get started. None of the certifications really teach you how to train somebody right away. So with that in mind, what I'd love to hear from you for people that are listening or watching is, uh, if you think about, right, you close your eyes and you, you picture like the perfect session in your mind, you know, like for just about any client, like what are kind of the, 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 the common threads that if you think about like delivering like killer session, what's, what's going on in there? Like, what are the components that you see making up a really great session that, uh, someone who's listening might be able to, to, you know, steal or learn from. It's funny you ask this because this morning I just met a new client that I'm taking on, uh, somebody who moved to Miami from, from Orlando area. And so I had to sort of step back into the, like, how do I make a perfect session? And in this case, it was a first session, but still, um, first is, is that banter up front. Even if you know them 10 years, it's, it's nice when you're happy to see each other. It's that, you know, I, I, I kind of want, um, I want those first three minutes to feel like an, the beginning of an episode of how I met your mother. Like I want it to just feel like everybody's down at the bar and just, just, just shooting the stuff, but then we're still getting stuff done. We do a quick check-in. How are you feeling today? Anything going on? You know, a good warm up that's focused on cleaning up any problems that they have while simultaneously getting them ready for whatever today really holds, right? Whatever that is, we can talk, you know, later about specificities of warmups, but a good warmup that has the person at the very end going, all right, let's go. From there, I'm a big believer that we should have at least three to five minutes of work in every training session in which the person is having that mental debate of whether to quit or to not. I think that's part of our responsibility as a coach. And what that looks like for people is obviously going to vary but there should be at least, right, if we're thinking 60 minutes, 
you know, five minutes spent in that really uncomfortable place. For some, that might be the runner who's never really been into strength training. And so they have to grit out four sets of five with a trap bar deadlift. And they're like, I feel like my hands are going to break. You're like, they won't. I promise you're fine. Or it's the person, you know, that is more of the lifter, bodybuilder type. And you're like, all right, we're going to get on the assault bike. And we're going to do 10-second intervals with 30-second recovery. And they feel like they can taste every breakfast they've had since they were 12. You know, those moments are what grow people. Then from there, it's it's a lot of the good work. What does this person need? I, I always go back to, I, I saw on YouTube years ago, this philosopher talk about big rocks, little rocks, and sand. And his idea was talking philosophically about what matters in life. And the shorthand version is he asked all the students in the rooms, if I wanted to fit everything in this jar, how do I fit everything in this jar? And somebody said, put the sand in, then the little rocks and the big rocks. And that person actually had it backwards. He says, you know, you put the big rocks in life. They represent your family, your friends, and all the things that really matter, your passion, your calling. They got to go in first. Then the little rocks fill in the spaces there. And the sand goes in to fill in everything else. And that's the noise. And in fitness, I've kind of analogize that over to say, I'm responsible for all of my clients' big rocks, squatting of some way, lunging, pushing, pulling, rotating, some sort of gait, some sort of deadlifty, hingy thing. And I have to do that. So what is something I can do in that beginning that makes you kind of uncomfortable and makes you go, holy crap, this is training. Now let me hit these really good movements that push you and, and, and grow you. Let's do some pumpy work or whatever it is you're chasing. And then you and I kind of talked about this in a, in a meeting about some Axiom stuff. But what is the emotion? Something I stole from Clifton Harsky with the PPSC years ago is what did you hire me for? Like, do you want to build a bigger butt? Cool. Let's do butt stuff. Uh, do you want to work your abs? Do you want to be sweaty? Cool. Let's finish with that. Like actually listening to what the client says gets them excited, gets them fired up. And wrap up on that and then kind of go back to that how I met your mother camaraderie. Hey, that was awesome. Hey, I'm so excited for your kids game this weekend. I know it's a big moment for you or whatever it is, engaging back into the personal life. And then high five. I'll see you next time. That's that's how I would say it goes. Hired. 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 <laughs> It'd be, it'd be uh, funny if you're like, actually, Kevin, that was horrible. We're gonna have to start yeah, this whole podcast. Yeah, we'll, over. Have try, we'll have to try it again. <laughs> no, I mean, for any of you guys are listening, I mean, again, hey, that was twenty five thousand uh, hours of experience. Uh, you can send your checks to uh, Kevin. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but for you guys, I mean, uh, especially those that are listening, if you guys have specific questions that you would love for Kevin and I to tackle as we start to uh, do this type of podcast and, and kind of tackling some of the questions you guys might have about training scenarios, clients, bodies, whatever, then, uh, then send them to one of us directly or tag both of us um, on Instagram. You know, you can direct message me at coach Joe Drake, Kevin, what is your Instagram as well? At Kevin Mullins fitness should be pretty easy. I'm going to make sure I put that in the uh, show notes as well. So you guys know that if you want us to tackle something specifically, give you a shout out here on the podcast, then send us some questions because I'd love to tackle um, some more things for you guys and make sure that in the mixture of our interviews and podcasts that we're keeping things uh, relevant and practical for you on a daily basis as well. So Kevin, I appreciate your time guys. Absolutely. If you got some value from this, don't forget follow Kevin. He's the man. He's entertaining. Hit him up on Instagram. He's very available. Myself, the same at coach Joe Drake. And, uh, don't hesitate to share this podcast with someone who's in the fitness industry or getting into it and could benefit from what we've got to say.